Hello and welcome to the Busyness Podcast. My name is Emily Austin. I'm the founder and CEO of a London-based PR agency called Emerge. I'm passionate about launching and scaling small businesses and have been fortunate enough in my 13-year career to work with some of the most exciting, category-defining brands in the world. I started my business when I was 22 years old, fresh out of university. Since that time, the world has got louder, our expectations have become greater, and our lives have become busier. Fobbing friends off with the stock answer we've all become accustomed to, I'm so busy, is an attempt to compel, conflate, and convince. But when did being too busy become a mark of status? Why is the goal to never have any free time? And just what the fuck is everyone doing? Are we setting unrealistic expectations for future entrepreneurs and business owners by encouraging them that a maniacal approach to diarising is the standard? This podcast aims to give you a realistic, detailed insight into the honest stories, the failures, the triumphs, the intricacies, the mistakes, the comebacks, the fuck-ups from those set to make their mark, the leaders, movers and shakers, trailblazers and game changers. We cover imposter syndrome, hiring and firing, call-out culture, anxiety, global growth, daily routines and knowing when to quit, choosing the best in the busyness to help you cut through the noise and optimise your success. Today I'm joined by Simone Deleroux, founder and CEO of Body by Simone, a dance-based fitness business. Simone has run her US business for over a decade and has trained some of the world's most famous celebrities, as well as appearing on Khloe Kardashian's Revenge Body. With a passion for dance and a love of moving her body, Simone identified the need for customers to have easy access to exercise and cardio that doesn't feel like a chore. Reflecting on the last 18 months with her business all but shutting down, the COVID-19 pandemic resulted in Simone's four studios quickly turning to two. Heartbroken, she reminds us that this was a harsh reality check on how misleading social media can be. We talked about marketing and how receiving lots of press coverage in the early days fast-tracked Simone's business, but she explains that celebrity endorsement is not something to rely on. It's all in the product being sold. Starting her business, she says that she felt clueless. Ten years on, Body by Simone focuses on content to stay relevant amongst the constantly emerging health and fitness fads. Her biggest challenges include retaining highly skilled staff whilst juggling the emotions and many personalities of employees. I ask what productivity means to Simone and in response she explains what she means by run your day, not let your day run you. I hope you can take some of Simone's words of wisdom and apply them to your business endeavours. I'd love if you could just introduce yourself and tell me a bit more about your business and what your sort of mission is. So my name is Simone Delarue. I'm the CEO, founder, creator of Body by Simone, which is a dance-based fitness business. Um, and before COVID, I had four studios, one in London, two in Los Angeles, and one in New York. But obviously, COVID hit really hard, um, and especially to physical gyms and brick and mortar. So now I now only have two, but that's a whole other conversation that we can talk about in a minute. Um, but I've had my business for 10 years, um, and I basically created it out of pure passion of the love of dance. And 
and wanting to help women be the best versions of themselves and share that creativity um, and, you know, give them the desired dances physique while enjoying working out and not looking at it like a chore. And in terms of what was happening in the in the fitness space generally a decade ago, particularly in, in the US, in New York and LA, which is obviously much further ahead of us here in the UK, there was a lot going on about um, quite punitive training. It was all about dragging yourself to the gym and completely destroying yourself. It was quite masculine. There was a lot of things like CrossFit and Barry's and all the colors were red and it was like a nightclub and it was all quite punitive in terms of the way that it was set up. Were, were you consciously trying to reach out to particularly women who wanted to enjoy physical activity? Was that a really big part of your response to what was happening at the time? Yeah, you know, I mean, I've danced since the age of three, you know, and I had a professional career for 18 years and I love to move my body. But the thought of going to a gym and running on a treadmill for me was just you know, I just didn't, I never wanted to do that. And so, and I thought, and this is, you know, my body was my tool for so many years as a dancer. I was like, if I feel like this, then the average person who, you know, how are we ever possibly going to get them to do cardio, you know, and like women would choose myself included to do like a, to do bar workout or yoga workout or Pilates workout. But, you know, it's proven that we need for our heart health um, to be doing cardio. And so I was really trying to think of a fun and enjoyable way for women to want to do cardio. And our classes are 55 minutes and, you know, you're constantly thinking and, um, you know, you are literally on your toes. The, the, the time goes by so fast that you don't even really know that you've just done a, a full 55-minute cardio class. So, yeah, absolutely. It stemmed from me not wanting to run on a treadmill um you know and people always saying oh you look so fit how do you do it I was like well I just dancing you know and so that was really the aha moment for me it's like oh why don't I share this with with so many more women in terms of the early days and the response that you had when you got started what was that like was it did you immediately find people who were uh, open to it did it take sort of time to convince people that dance could be uh, used as a form of getting fit and staying fit when, as to your point, the kind of treadmill is the imagery that a lot of people had. What was the sort of, what were the early days like for you? I have to admit, when I look back now, I had pure luck. Um, you know, I, uh, had a couple of celebrity clients that, you know, saw a change in their body and enjoyed it and looked forward to coming to work out with me. And they got photographed leaving my studio with, you know, a body by Simone um, tank on. And really from that moment, it kind of blew up because, you know, especially in America, everyone's celebrity ex- obsessed. And so, you know, when a celebrity was seen doing this workout, um, it really, that was, you know, within the first six months of me opening my doors. So, um, you know, I was very, very lucky to have that opportunity. So then I, you know, I got a lot of press from that. And so a lot of people saw it and that's how, um, you know, it really did help build the business from the, from the early days. And I think, you know, I always say to, to people when they come into class for the first time and they're intimidated by the word dance, my message was always that I just want you to stay in the room. And then without doubt, you know, people would do the first class and they would be like, that's amazing. It was so much fun. I loved it. And, you know, and then they would come back. So, yeah, it was definitely luck um, in the in the early days. 
I was going to ask you about celebrities because I think when people launch brands nowadays, there's so much focus on, um, you know, the, the, the sort of obvious suggestions, whether it's PR or marketing or spend, I get a celebrity in it, do a high profile event, you know, with a celebrity, influencers, etc. The US market is very different to here. LA and New York have a, uh, firstly, America has a different type of celebrity and a different type of sort of, we don't really have the A-list thing here. But also, um, you know, LA and New York have quite a high density of celebrities. So it's probable that you might get access to them more easily, perhaps, than here. You've had people like uh, Jennifer Aniston, Selena Gomez, Emily Blunt, you know, the big, big names that you've you've worked with. You obviously did, you worked with Khloe Kardashian on her Revenge Body, which... I'd like to talk to you about later when I because I'm really interested in the kind of physical and mental mental health. But for someone starting a business now, particularly in this space, or who's a personal trainer or who is trying to transition from a discipline like dance into becoming more of an instructor, is that an important part of how to launch a brand now? Or is it so saturated and there's so many you know David Beckham goes to Barry's and so and so go, you know what do you think about sort of advice for someone trying to do that now I mean when I started 10 years ago honestly I had no idea you know and I I didn't even realize just how that certain actress leaving with a tank on you know would really change change my life and change the business um but 10 years have passed and as you said it is oversaturated now and everyone's like looking for the latest fad or let's go to the next one or the new one you know I'm not gonna lie having a celebrity endorsement absolutely helps however you can't rely on that because you know it is a fickle industry and they will move on to the next workout and the next workout so you can't rely on them to sell your business you have to really rely on the product that you're selling and I always think that if you have a great product celebrity or not the person is going to enjoy that and love that and appreciate that and you know my business in the early days was word of mouth also you know and people say, how did you get that many celebrities? So it's like, I trained one, I was respectful, you know, I, I didn't try and sell them out. And, um, you know, I gave them a good workout. And therefore, they, they recommended it to a friend of theirs. So it really was word of mouth. But it has to be the product, because, you know, celebrities are celebrities, and they'll, they'll come and go. But if, if the product isn't great, you know, the public are smart, they'll, they'll know, like, I'm not going to buy this, or I'm not going to use this. What are some of the challenges and and have you found have you found it difficult to run a business for such a long time in a market that you know it's similar to the diet industry right every week there's a new discipline or a new studio and and lots of them don't last but it's quite an interesting business to have staying power in amongst what you know a lot of fickle businesses what's your experience been like of some of the challenges and sort of what's your approach been to, to staying relevant for for a decade yeah, um, thank you. Like last month was the 10-year anniversary of Body by Simone. So I was in New York and we held a lot of classes and we had clients come in who were there in the very, you know, beginning. Um, and, you know, one of the comments was like, how do you stay relevant and how do you do this 10 years on when, especially in America, you know, there was like goat yoga or like, you know, do do Pilates on a surfboard or then you've got your spin bike in, the, in a pool. Like it, literally every week there is a new fad. Um, but I always try to stick to, and then this goes back to the earlier question, the content of, you know, what the workout is. If the, if the workout is 
good and it works and it transforms body, you don't need a quick fix or a fad or a slogan or, you know, fancy colors or even, you know, fancy lighting or, you know, you just, the product, it really does come down to the product has to be good. And, you know, I'm doing um, the same workout that we did 10 years ago. I mean, obviously we've evolved a little, um, which you have to do, um, you know, but, um, Going to your question, the challenges that I found over the past 10 years of, of being a CEO in a business that, you know, can be a quick fix and a quick fad is, is keeping um, the trainers. That's, that's really challenging as, you know, staff management, you know, because you put so much of your time and energy into training your staff because they are representative of you, they're representative of the brand, um, you know, but people, you know, it's just business. People change, people grow, they want to start their own things. I've had, you know, at least five of my top trainers leave and start their own business and take clients. And, you know, um, and in the early days I used to get so upset and take that so personally, but now I realize it's, it's just business and, you know, it happens in any business and people, you know, will move on. But, um, that definitely has been the most challenging. Clients are amazing, you know, managing staff and personalities of staff and making sure that they feel valued and that their needs are met would probably be the most challenging. Yeah, and I think it's it's a really interesting tension between wanting to train people and invest in them and help them with their career, but but know that you've got to also protect yourself and your business it's quite a strange tension because you're kind of on guard, but also wanting to nurture them. And I think particularly in the US, you know, the home of reality television, there's particularly with, I think, Barry's, certainly in terms of how that translated to the UK, some of the trainers almost became sort of new new celebrities. And similarly with what Peloton's done with their master trainers, and I know Lululemon have done, you know, they're sort of these brands have taken these personal trainers. And I think I, I can imagine it's quite frustrating. I've worked with lots of gyms. I've worked with Equinox and Third Space and One Rebel and lots of class pass and cycle and all these different gyms. So I've seen that transition too, where an individual's come in and been, you know, invested in as the top spin instructor and then gets poached by Peloton and goes off to LA and it's all very sexy. And, you know, inevitably you're going to be excited that that person has a career opportunity and they sort of started with you, but you also can't help but feel a little bit sort of betrayed has been the language that's been used by some of the people I've worked with. But you talk about it as sort of an inevitability in a business. Have you found ways to just manage that personally, that you sort of are upset about it for a day and then you move on or you try and support everyone? Or have, are, there, are there measures you put in place to make sure that you're kind of protecting yourself? Yeah, I mean, still 10 years on, it happened just recently. And it is, you know, it's heartbreaking. But um you just have to come from a place of love and say, I wish you all the best. And the interesting thing that I've found is a lot of people leave and try and start their own things, but not many succeed, you know, because then they realize, oh, this is actually really hard work. It's not glamorous, you know, and so it's easy to be be the trainer and have someone take care of and bring you the clients and take care of all the business. But when someone has to actually get their own brick and mortar space and, you know, pay the rent and, you know, um, continue to sustain a business, people find it challenging. So I always, you know, I do wish them luck and send them love and, and say all the best, um, you know, but then, yeah, you do see the ones that survive and not many do. 
I think it's a really good point. I mean, that this this podcast is called the Busyness Podcast because there's such a standard now of everyone being super busy and on social media being um, in magazines and having lots of friends and lots of children and you know having a fashion sense and everyone's sort of got to be doing everything all, all at the same time. And I do think that there is this romance around running a business. I I started my business in 2012, so almost 10 years ago as well. And it's not that fun. And it's definitely not fun all the time. And the bit that you love doing, you probably get to do less, you know, for you, creating the concepts, opening the spaces, meeting the people, you know, the transformations, actually running um, the training and classes and doing it is probably much more rewarding than looking at leases and dealing with legal things from ex-employees and, you know, a leak in a building, you know, like it's not sort of glamorous. Do you think social media has been a big part of the glamorization of being a CEO? And do you think that's given people unrealistic expectations? Absolutely. You know, I, and I even say this, like, you're not going to catch me crying on, on social media. Like, I'm not going to tell you, you know, that I had to close two studios and sobbing at the front door and, you know, the heartbreak of that. I'm not going to share that on social media. So people are showing you the filtered version of their life. Like, look at the, look at me. Isn't this amazing? Let let me, let me show you how great this is. Um, And, you know, I do think that we should be authentic. I do think we should share, you know, it's that fine line between oversharing. Um, But it's not until you have conversations like this when people actually will, you know, will tell you the truth. But, yeah, social media has a lot to answer for. It's a great marketing tool. It's a great way to reach your audience. But I think we've gone a little too far. (laughs) And I think we've, you know, we've, we've lost the human interaction. We've lost the um, reality and we are living a filtered life. Yeah. And I think it's also really applicable to the fitness industry because you see these crazy transformational stories uh, that, that aren't real, or you see trainers that are um, using additional things other than the things they're sharing perhaps and people obviously edit pictures heavily. And I think it's really interesting in fitness because, and, and sort of the health and well-being space generally, because people who are responding to that content are often so desperate to find solutions. And we're a nation of quick fixes. So it's, you know, the, that's the very nature of a lot of the diet industry and the fitness industry. Do you find it frustrating when you see you know, whether it's people running businesses or specifically these kind of transformational um, posts, do you find it frustrating when you know that it's not real and it's not really setting people up to win by explaining to them, you know, you have to do, you have to try at this every day and you have to transform your life and you have to focus on your brain and the inside and who you're spending time with. You know, it's so much bigger than just kind of showing up to one class and what you're doing with your program and your structure is giving people uh, a safe space to begin to explore that and understand it in a community of people who are supportive but how do you respond to some of the things you see on social media that are misleading yeah I mean people always come to me and they want the quick fix you know and like oh how do I lose 30 pounds and you know in five days or something and I always tell them that that's impossible and you can't and so I think it's interesting the type of client and follower I get because I don't um 
you know, ask people to drink the Kool-Aid. I'm just very much like, this is hard work. I can give you all of the tools, but only you can do the work. But the thing, it's been interesting. We've had a, a, quite a few conversations. I've done some podcasts, podcasts in the US about this is that they're now, because of social media, there is the fit influencer, right? And so it's the, the young girl who looks fabulous in a bra top and a legging and she's in the gym and she's showing her workout and telling people this is what she should do. However, this young girl has no qualifications, has no experience, has never trained a client um, and just genetically looks good because often it's a model or someone like that. You know, and so now these young women are following this person, believing that if they do that workout, they will get that body and that's how they will look. And, you know, it's, it's extremely frustrating, especially for someone who's been in business for 10 years, who's got so many qualifications, I've trained thousands of women you know it's like we shouldn't be encouraging this you know like we need to be showing the reality of no it's hard work it's you know you can't change your body shape because of your genetics you know you can't like lose weight five pounds in five days like none of that works you know so um that is the new thing that we're you know i'm trying to fight at the moment is yes it's great if you want to follow your fit influencers but make sure that they have qualifications or make sure that they actually know what they're talking about to give you these programs yeah or or at least sort of you know use them for inspiration but maybe don't follow what they're doing i think it's it's something I feel really strongly about the kind of lack of regulation and we see it in sort of the coaching industry and you think you know you wouldn't go to a chiropractor if they said oh I don't have any experience but I had a bad back when I was 25 you'd be like this isn't it but people go and they're like oh I don't have any experience but I'm a life coach because I had a trauma and you and it's just it's you know similarly with with personal training I am I lost 30 kilos over the course of about two years doing lots of exercise and particularly boxing and things like that. And one of the things I found very interesting about um, Revenge Body that you obviously were heavily featured on as one of the lead trainers on that show was it wasn't glamorous and it wasn't and it was actually a really um, honest showcase of the mental challenges that come alongside physical challenges and you know in theory a lot of the advice around being active is relatively straightforward if you you know sort of doing more than than you sort of calories in calories out or moving more than you don't make all that kind of stuff but the big barrier for a lot of people is 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 mental and that can go back to as we see with that program particularly some really deep rooted issues around self-esteem and abandonment and trust and pain and all those kind of things your responsibility and the kind of kindness that you show in those really human moments is really powerful and I'd be interested to hear about your feelings about the connection between kind of mental and physical health and how so you know some of the interactions you have with people that that are on often quite painful journeys that show was so fascinating for me because you know we all signed up thinking it was going to be a weight loss show you know and I, I mean we didn't know the title of the show and um I always thought it had negative connotation, revenge body, you know, like you're not doing it for anybody else. You're doing it for yourself, you know? So in my head, I was like, renew or, you know, I, I changed the, the title of it, but, um, the connection between mind, body and spirit, you know, they're all aligned. And if one is out, then, you know, it's, it's really hard to, um, move forward in your life. 
I always said that you can give anybody the tools. You know, I can give everybody, a celebrity, anyone on Revenge Body, the same workout program, the same meal plan, but it's up to them to do the work. Um, but what you find that's that's really interesting is that, you know, in life, life is hard and we have emotional trauma and we have things that we take on and experiences that we take on and we have therapists, you know, to help us talk about these and get in touch with these feelings. But often, you know, as humans, we store these emotions or this trauma in our body as well. So I find that, you know, when I've worked with clients, when you physically push someone to the point of fatigue, when they're physically exhausted, an emotional outburst will come out because they're just depleted and they're like, and that, you know, is like, first of all, is like getting to the physical pain and, you know, the emotion that you've been holding on to. So it's important to move that. It's important to move that energy. And then you can acknowledge it and start to process it and go to the therapist and talk about it, you know, and do that work. Um, so I've always said that my job as a trainer is that you're a therapist because you are asking a client, you know, to move their body and move that emotion and move that energy. And you'll be amazed at what comes up, you know, along the way. It's really hard to talk about running a business without talking about the last 18 months and COVID. Obviously, the fitness industry in many ways boomed. Everyone was encouraged to take physical activity. A lot of parks and certain beaches and outdoor spaces were still open. I know the uh, mask mandate in LA was more severe than here, um, but, but, but still we were encouraged to exercise and we were allowed to. There was a massive boom in the digitalization of fitness obvious brands like Peloton, but but equally a lot of online classes and kind of the community connecting digitally. You mentioned at the beginning that you went from four studios to two. I, I've actually been to your your Regent's Park, your Primrose Hill one is um, right next to my old flat. So I used to, used to go there. So I'm very familiar with that one. But it's an interesting time because although online a lot was happening and there's a kind of new way of exploring your business and connecting with people and fitness was a focus kind of globally in, in, in a way. Also, you had to close two studios, which was presumably very difficult. Can you tell me a bit more about your experience in the last 18 months running, running a business? Yeah, absolutely. So I think what people didn't realize is that when you have a physical space you owe rent on it to your landlord and when we had to close you know during lockdown that meant that the studios were closed and there was no income coming in and you know in in the US it was like 18 months that one of the studios you know was closed and so and same like London was close to a year and but we still owe the landlords the rent even though the space was closed. So if you think about the first couple of months, it's okay, yeah, you've got money set aside, but by the end of it, you're just depleting any savings or anything you had. And the government helped slightly, but hardly at all actually in the States. The money went ended up going to the landlord. So it's like I could not keep the physical studios open. Um, which was heartbreaking because I built the business off brick and mortar. Yes, I have an app and I have online classes and we did Zoom classes, um, but we had to close the brick and mortar, which was heartbreaking. And still people say to me, oh, why did you have to close it? I'm like, <laughs> how do you think we were physically going to keep this open and still, you know, keep a business? So that was tremendously 
it was so, so upsetting, especially the London one. It was so beautiful. It was brand new. And was there a point where with your with your planning and, you know, my experience of this is slightly different because I, I run an agency. So clients, you know, similarly to customers sort of dry up and disappear and, and, and no one, everyone decides they're not going to pay their bill. But for me, there were stages where it was like, let's let's imagine 70 let's imagine 50 percent of our revenue drops out and everyone laughs and says that's absurd and then the next week you're like well we're now living that and then it's like well what if it's not two months and it's six and then and so it was kind of stages was that the same for you where you sort of really tried to starve off that and then you got to a point where there was a conversation that was like this has to be the decision now what what was that process like Yeah, I'm a fighter. So I always believe like we can do this, we can get through this, let's keep going. So we really, really pushed and pushed and pushed. Um, And then it got to a point was like, well, if we keep these spaces open, we're going to, you know, go bankrupt. So, you know, at, at this, yeah, we had to just pull the plug. Um, and that was horrible. And, you know, we did pivot. We do have an app, we have it online, we started doing Zoom classes. But it's just not the same, you know, that is not the same as the in-studio, in-human experience. Um, you know, there was definitely some silver linings and it was great that we were able to connect globally, you know, but at the same time, it's like every single studio or gym or fitness space had to pivot and move online. So it's not like it opened up a whole new um you know, audience for us because then people just went to their favorite, you know, well, my favorite yoga studio is now doing online. So I'll just keep continuing with them. Um, so it didn't, you know, it was, it was interesting. And so many people were doing free workouts. So as a business, we're trying to compete, you know, like pay for our zoom classes, pay for our app, but someone's doing Instagram live free class every day. Well, of course I'm going to do that, you know? So it was extremely challenging to try and keep, you know, revenue coming in at a time when everyone was terrified about how they were going to pay their rent. Yeah. And it's also so rushed, right? It feels like you've got to respond. You're sort of constantly in the fight or flight stage. You know, you you don't have the same time to test stuff. You, you feel like you've got to rush stuff out. It doesn't really feel like the version of the business you wanted. But also, as you say, you're presented with an option that's not particularly exciting. And our gyms here were shut pretty quickly. They were shut. Um, I think it was the, the sort of 5th to the 10th of March, where things started to get quite difficult. By mid-March, um, the gyms were all closed. And a couple of them did have online capabilities, but, but you know, they weren't set up for it at all. In terms of where you are now, have you felt that things are moving again? Has it changed for you in terms of the last 18 months? Or is there still a long way to go with confidence and getting people back into physical spaces? It's, it's interesting. I don't know if it will ever be the same again, to be honest. Um, you know, we have the client. So in, in New York, they don't have to wear masks, but in LA, you still have to wear masks when you're working out. So, you know, trying to do dance cardio or trampoline cardio with a mask on, it's just, it's like extremely challenging and, you know, it can be dangerous and it's just like, it's not ideal. Um, and I think you're going to have the person who's paranoid who, you know, was paranoid before the pandemic ever hit that are probably never going to return to physical gyms again um, because they, they're scared of, you know, picking up something if they touch something or, you know, but then you're going to also have the client who was so desperate to have the inhuman person experience again that was rushing back. Um, but 
you know, we were, business was starting to pick up, starting to pick up. Now there's a new variant, it drops again. So we're like, we're literally doing this roller coaster. Um, I still think we have a long, long way to go. You know, business, we, you know, we're, we're just, we're still in the trenches, you know, and, and I say to my team every day, we are in the rebuild phase. And as far as I'm concerned, I feel like it's back to when we just opened the business 10 years ago. Like that's how hard we are having to work with our marketing, with our training with our service like really trying to get people back in and get people back in to stay people don't have the money either because people have lost their jobs you know so it's like we've got a long way to go and I, I I'm I always like to look you know on the positive side and you know I don't like to be doom and gloom but that's just the honest honest truth at the moment and it's about being honest and realistic as well, right? Like a lot of people, you can't run a business in, in sort of fantasy world. You've got to be really pragmatic and, and that's sometimes, you know, not not the nicest view. But it's extraordinary that March will be two years since, you know, and, and in the UK last year on the 22nd of December, so right before Christmas, the London went into tier four which was a kind of red like you can't go anywhere unless you absolutely have to and it was sort of just before a lockdown um you know and you think these businesses are on their knees and people are devastated and unfortunately I think psychologically there wasn't a turning of the year in the same way that often there is so there wasn't uh we we came back in January and then we went straight into lockdown here so you can't even could just sort of put the year behind you because you're still like living in the nightmare so um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I hope that it, I hope that it moves and it turns. I'm confident it will. I think people do want those physical experiences. I think there's just, you know, there is, there is nervousness. We talked about people earlier and investing in people, but I'm interested in, in what are the most valuable investments you've made to grow your business in ten years, and, and where have you wasted money? I think probably. Yeah, that's a good one. Interesting enough, um, investing in merchandise, you know, like whether it's, you know, tank tops, equipment, um, we always, you know, see great in- income. We always see great return when we when we do any kind of merchandise. Um, so that's been a great investment. I would also say probably – you know, I've always worked, so I've never really had investors. So basically I built the New York studio. I worked hard. I worked hard. Once that was successful, the money made on that, then opened the West Hollywood studio, West Hollywood, same thing, built that, then did Brentwood, then did London. So, um, you know, I think investing, investing in, you know, your craft, investing in your team, investing in, um, you know, continuing to make the product great um, and always seeing the return there. Um, you know, another good used to be market, the marketing tool was always Instagram. Now that there are new algorithms, now that there's TikTok, that's really changed. Um, you know, Instagram is turning into a Facebook now and I feel like we will be moving from Instagram to TikTok or to something else so but I, you know obviously over the years up until probably two years ago invested a lot of time and energy into using instagram as a marketing tool to reach people um probably my app which was a huge investment um which i launched in 2018 before covid even hit before you know people were doing online workouts that was a great way for me to still manage to stay in touch with all the little communities and you know fan bases that we'd created over the years What's the best piece of advice that you've ever been given about running a business? I always think, you know, 
there's going to be highs and lows in business. I think from a personal point, I was always so driven and focused on more, more, bigger, bigger, and so ambitious that I didn't actually stop to be present in the moment and enjoy the wins, you know, because there were many wins throughout it. Um, I think from a business standpoint, you know, don't ever look at anything as a failure. It is always an experience. It's always a lesson. And as in life, there is also in business, there will be success and there will be there will be lessons, there will be highs and there will be lows, um, you know, and, and to learn from those um, and just be present in the moment, especially during the successful times and enjoy them because they will pass too. <laughs> yeah, it's like the success and all failures final, right? Like it constantly snakes and ladders, isn't it? No, it's, it's really good advice. And I think to your point earlier, there is this romance or ro- romanticizing of what it is to run a business. And it does often for other people come down to the days you open the locations, the days someone fabulous wears the merchandise, you know, you with the blow dry looking great. And, it, and I agree with you, it's not appropriate to share the tears and other things because it's a professional role and you have people counting on you and you don't want to kind of scare people or worry people and I do think that in the dialogue around mental health there is a lot of oversharing that's not actually constructive and is can be quite abstract and misleading for 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 people particularly who are a bit more vulnerable but I do um I do think it's important to whilst being real is great it is important to take time to really enjoy and appreciate what you have achieved and what you have done because Often when you run a business, there isn't really anyone patting you on the back. You're patting everybody else on the back. And at one point, it's like, is anyone going to do it for me? (laughs) You're like, no, okay, I'll do it for myself. Perfect. Clap for myself. (laughs) What have you found to be the biggest myth or assumption about running a business? and, And has it stacked up? Yeah, I think the biggest myth is that it's easy or that it's glamorous or that, um, you know, I do believe that anyone can do it. However, you have to have, you know, passion about it. I think another myth is, you know, if you start a business, you have to have a business degree or you have to have an investor. You know, no, if you have pure passion and drive and you work hard, you can achieve your dreams. So it's like a two-sided myth there, you know, Um but it's, yeah, it's, it's not glamorous and it's not easy. It is hard work. Yeah. And I think what you were saying earlier about, you know, there's people that have left your business and maybe gone and tried their own thing and it hasn't worked. I think that that's, there's a real staying power to just not quitting, right? There's obviously for certain things you have to know when to get out or when to quit, but by virtue of the fact that a lot of people will quit, if you've got the gumption to stick with it, then, you know, you're, you've got a better chance of you've got to be in it to win it haven't you how do you make sure that you keep learning do you travel do you listen to podcasts do you read do you go to seminars do you talk to people what's your process for making sure that you're continually learning yeah I just like to evolve and it always seems to be like evolving to what's happening in my life so you know I um 
ended up doing pre and postnatal specialist when I was pregnant because I realized that there was not enough um, information out there for young mums. Um, I started doing, you know, life coaching and um, well, wellness coaching last year because I thought that there was not enough support for mental health around, you know, the pressure of like having to work out and realizing that it's, it's you know, aligned physical, mental and, and um, spiritual. So I guess I keep evolving because it's happening personally to me. And so I, I just think that, you know, knowledge is wealth and you have to, um, you know, keep growing as a brand as well. Um, but it always has to feel true and authentic and align with what's happening within me. How do you define success? I think success is um, touching people and changing people's lives and helping them transform. And when I, you know, receive a DM on Instagram, someone saying you changed my life or thank thank you so much for everything that you do. That for me really has been, um, that's success. No, that's wonderful. I mean, not a lot of people can say that they actually do that. And, and actually, you know, that is one of the positive things from Instagram, whether it's customer service or direct feedback or connecting, you know, previously you might not have been exposed to some of those those people they might not have been able to to access you in that way so I guess that is a a positive thing we talked earlier about productivity it can be challenging in an environment where everyone is expected to be busy all the time and this idea of doing more is what we're presented with certainly through media and, and other other channels if you had an extra hour in the day what would you use it for <laughs> Um, sleep? No. <laughs> um, I am, have learned over the years because I always thought that, you know, be more work is, means, you know, more success. But I've really learned now to kind of compartmentalise my life and work, you know, and talking about work-life balance. And I think that happens when you have a child because their needs have to come first before anything. And so now I really create my day. It was like, I have time with my son that's just for us and work will not interrupt that. And now I will leave, you know, emails to a certain point in the day and I'll answer them all at once and not sit in front of my computer waiting for them to come in. So I think, you know, it's really just learning to run your day and not your day run you um, and just learning to try and find, um, you know, a healthy balance between your work and your life and making your non-negotiables, um, you know, um, and really trying to stick to them. If I had an extra hour, I would probably, I don't know, I'd probably divide that between family time and um, and, and work time or maybe sleep. <laughs> no, I think it's, really important redlining time and having boundary setting is a really hard skill to learn when you run a business because you want to fix things all the time and be everything to everyone so it definitely definitely requires some discipline um what's next what's next for you what's next for the business what can we expect to see as we go into 2022 yeah, next is, um, so I've always had my app, but now I'm launching on December 18th a web platform. So now you'll be able to filter workouts based on um, whatever need, what muscle group, you know, like what specific class you want to do. I'm adding 55-minute classes to that. And I've turned my eight-week program, which was a book which I wrote 10 years ago. It's now a digital version, so you can now do that. I'll be launching a postnatal program. So there'll be a lot more programs coming to this online platform. And, yeah, I don't know. Let's just – I'm trying to keep the studios that I have alive and trying to rebuild 
them is is my favorite word at the moment and and just hold on just just hang in there and hold on and 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 hope for the best well i wish you all the best i have no doubt that you'll have the staying power a a 10 year career in your own business is is sort of impressive enough but you are hugely inspirational and i'm really grateful so thank you for taking the time i i have no doubt that for lots of people listening what you've said will be hugely helpful and beneficial for for all different stages of people's business journey. So, so thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. 